Throughout the 1970s and 80s, Chile endured one of the most brutal of Latin America's dictatorships under the rule of General Augusto Pinochet. Throughout his 17 years as president, Pinochet oversaw the execution of thousands of his critics, along with tens of thousands more arbitrary arrests, incidents of torture and forced disappearances, while Pinochet himself amassed a huge personal fortune. One year after Chile returned to democracy and Pinochet was removed from power, the country set about reckoning with its bloody past and punishing those responsible for the dictatorship's abuses. Multiple truth commissions were set up, which led to the indictment of Pinochet himself. And across Chile, sites that became notorious for the atrocities which took place there during the dictatorship have now been turned into memorials, such as the Estadio Nacional Football Stadium in Santiago, which was used as a detention facility during the Pinochet regime. There, behind one of the goals, a section of the stadium once used to drag political prisoners into tiny cells has now been preserved as it was in 1973, and above a sign reads, A people without memory is a people without a future. Indeed, this reckoning with the authoritarian wounds of Chile's past is something that we've never seen in Brazil. Torturers here were offered amnesties, and there are little to no memorials of the country's own brutal past, and those in power suggest that the country should just move on and forget. But coming back to Chile for a moment, the legacy of the Pinochet dictatorship has almost completely been done away with, except, crucially, for the 1980 constitution which still governs the country to this day. Despite being designed by a constituent assembly that was handpicked by Pinochet himself and then approved by a rigged referendum, it appears to be the last illegitimate part of Pinochet's legacy to have survived. Until now, that is. Hoy ha triunfado la ciudadanía y la democracia. On Sunday, Chileans voted to draft a new constitution, doing away with Pinochet's charter once and for all. And this was no tight referendum, a stunning 78% voted in favour of drafting a new constitution. And this week we speak to an expert on Chile to learn more about this movement and how the country will design its new constitution. Este plebiscito no es el fin, es el comienzo de un camino. I'm Ewan Marshall, editor of the Brazilian Report and filling in for editor-in-chief Gustavo Ribeiro and this is the Explaining Brazil podcast. La Constitución nos ha dividido. A partir de hoy, todos debemos colaborar para que la nueva Constitución sea el gran marco de unidad, de estabilidad y de futuro. To break down and unpack what went on as Chile went to the polls on Sunday, we spoke to Daniel Figueroa, a political scientist from the Pontifical Catholic University of Chile and a chevening scholar at the University of Sussex. So, Daniel, first of all, could you just explain what the mood is like in Chile right now? Well, I well, thank you very much for the invitation, Ian. Uh, I think it's, it's quite good, you know, it's, there was a lot of tension, you know, since October last year, uh, what's going to, going to happen uh, for the, the plebiscite and every, every, everything goes normal, especially for, you know, for the context of the pandemic. So everything was very smooth. Um, people are quite joyful and quite expecting what's going to happen next, you know, but uh, with the um, massive win of the approval of the new constitutions and the um, 
and the new and the system, the 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 constitutional convention, like it's going to be the mechanism that they're going to uh, the people going to be elected people from the citizens to decide which are the articles going to be incorporated in the new constitutions. Uh, there's a lot of um, I don't know. Uh, you could say it's like a uh, the open distress door for the Chilean situation. So I think uh, it was really good. And just before we get into the questions of the referendum itself for the plebiscite, if you could just take us back a little bit in time and just tell us when, you know, when, when did this idea and this movement for a new constitution come about? When does that date back to? Well, I think um, you could say since the, the start of the constitution in 1980, you know, like, um, or when we recovered democracy in 19. Uh, 1989, you know, everyone was thinking that um, it could be possible to change after the finish of the dictatorship. But the um, the, the people that, you know, one of the agreements, I think, like to recover your democracy was uh, to not touch the constitution, you know, was, was one of the, the key things. Uh, and since I think since in the 90s, you know, where people were thinking that um, many of the things or like things that were interesting, like social demands, were pressuring for changes in Chile. People were thinking that the system were not, um, um, you know, favoring this kind of, of, of changes. And there's always, you know, in, in political circles, and I study political science, it always was a debate in the 90s uh, to change the constitutions, what they call the constitutional traps. Maybe we can talk a little bit about later. Um, but specifically, in 2000, uh, in the election of um, 2013, um, for when Bachelet, the second government of Bachelet, uh, won, and there was a massive movement of, of people that, in the ballot, in the vote, they decide to put AC, like uh, Constitutional Assembly. So uh, that's kind of, you know, you can see the starting point, you could say, of of this demand, like like in a concrete, um, uh, I could say, the, the like the detailed uh, example of where it started. And also in the second government of Michel Bachelet, they tried to do this. Um, like a more moderate mechanism where there are people gathering and discussing. Uh, I participated in one of these um, uh, like groups, like for the second government of Bachelet created like this, um, it's called auto, sorry, and I don't know how to translate, but was a proposal of the, of the, of the second government of Bachelet, you know, to discuss what are the, kind of the issues at the next constitutions and, uh, when the, the she sent that his proposal uh, based on this discussion from the people, but the government of Bachelet, the government of Piñera, the second government of Piñera, decided to they're not going to continue the reform. So if you can see, there was like a huge uh, social pressure, you know, before, and there was a lot of demands to change the constitution. And so you mentioned that you were involved in some of these discussions about you know, proposals for a new constitution. So what are the what are the main issues with this existing constitution, the one that exists already that was designed in 1980? What are the problems with it? Well, I think that there are a few, you could say, principles that are incorporated in the, uh, in, in this, uh, like the main law of Chile. And, but I think the, the principal issues are a few mechanisms or traps that uh, don't let, you know, like... Uh, demands of the people go on in the, in the Congress, you know, like, for example, there's a few, so you want to reform certain parts of the, of the constitutions, uh, the quorums are quite high, you know, you need like more than 60% of the, 
uh, of the Congress to approve. So that's quite high to change something. So it's like the Constitution was designed internally to avoid, you know, to like high changes on the on, on the on the institutions of Chile, you would say. And and also there was a creation of the constitutional court. Is this thing like, for example, if if you want to change the pension system and for cent for you 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 manage to get the quorum for for a for this reform, and but then you have this uh, external court that decide if this is constitutional or unconstitutional. So this court acted like a third chamber, you know, that always block like many important changes for uh, like demands for people that, you know, to, to to pass in the Congress. And what I found interesting is that in a lot of the protests or, or demonstrations leading up to this referendum, many of the people were saying that, you know, they, they were kind of directing their anger at the, the legacy of Pinochet, saying that their legacy was going to be getting rid of Pinochet's legacy. And so, though most of our listeners will have at least, you know, some idea of what the dictatorship was in Chile and what happened in Chile, if you could just kind of help us contextualise a little bit just how brutal that period was and why people are just were so desperate to get rid of that final legacy of General Pinochet. Well, most Chileans, you would say, have a story related to... to to what happened in in that period, and I was talking, for example, per, like personally, I was talking with a, with an aunt like a few days ago, and asked her, uh, "Did you vote for for the plebiscite in in 1980, like where where they approved the Pinochet Constitution?" And he said, "Yes," and, but there was a lot of fear there, you know, because everyone knows secretly there were a lot of uh, torture, there were a lot of um, people were prosecuted, uh, persecuted, you know, people disappearing. And she told me that before the plebiscite in 1980, she went to a funeral. Uh, and, and she saw like um, there were a lot of like uh, tombs that were unnamed, you know, and everyone have like the date of of the day of the queue of the queue, you know. So there was a lot of fear, you know, in, in, in that, and that continue. Uh, uh, you could say like there's that like in the collective memory of Chileans, there's always this uh, this 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 idea of what happened, you know, with disappearing people, and and also what's really relevant to mention that in last year, in October last year, when was the social upspring in Chile, uh, one of the one of the situation was uncontrolled by the, uh, what all people were protesting, uh, burning things on the streets, um, like the the president decided to send the militaries to, uh, to to the street and establish some curfews, and you know that was, that, that created a direct relation with what people you know, was thinking about the dictatorship, dictatorship but people that leave the dictatorship, you know, was, was like a re, uh, remembering what happened again. So uh, that created more fear, that created more violence, you know. So I think uh, the brutality of the, the dictatorship of Pinochet is, is still alive in that way. And, you know, what, what happened last year helped it, you know, to remember again, to, to, to think, you know, we need to change this. We need to uh, change the legacy of Pinochet, you know, and and one of the the, the the most important legacies is is the constitution, you know, because that's that's uh, that's the all the rules that establish, you know, that how all democracy is gonna is gonna be ruled. And Daniel, one thing which I think hasn't been reported on much is that, of course, seventy eight percent of people voting in favour of changing the constitution, you know, that's a massive margin, but. Who are these? Who are these twenty, twenty-two percent of people who voted in the opposite direction? Well, mostly the um, three more rich 
uh, in terms of income communes, or I don't know how they call them in Brazil, but or in the United States, they call counties that, that are situated in, in, in the northeast of Santiago. Uh, this is the communes of Vitacura, Las Condes, uh, and Lugarnechea. And well, that's, that's quite in, that's where the communes, you would say, or the, the places where the, the, the rich elite of Chile lives, you know. And, but it's interesting to see the participation, the internal participation on these rich communes. For example, um, in uh, the, the participation of, of Vitacura, one of the richest communes and where the, um, where the places where the, most of the elite, Chilean elite lives, uh, in the election of 2017, in the second, uh, in, in, in the elections there, the participation was 71 and now was 68%. So it was a decrease of 3%. And there was like a minimum decrease of participation in this, in this trick. Uh, communes, but if you check, for example, in the the poorest communes of of Santiago, La Pintana, Los Espejos, Saronavia, uh, you have like a, uh, like a huge increasing of participation. So uh, it's quite interesting that some analysts call uh, this like a class, uh, you know, um, um, class. Uh, you say uh, the word juncture. Uh, um, so it's marked by class, you know, so it's, it's not that there's a polarization in Chilean society, it's just the people against an elite, you know, that was uh, trying to avoid changes, many changes and, uh, and, and protect their privilege, you know, that are supported by the Constitution. So that is connected to what I was saying before, you know, that uh, the, the mechanisms of the constitutions are, are created to avoid big changes. So this is a sign, you know, that most Chileans, you know, and want changes. They want to see <clears throat> social demands. They were more like a social state than, than more like a neoliberal state, you would say. One of the interesting things about the referendum was that not only were people voting on whether to change the constitution or not, they were also voting on who and how uh, they would eventually draft a new constitution. So could you tell us a little bit about that? I know there were some, some interesting results there. Yeah, well, they were uh, in the vote was um, yes or no to change the constitutions. And the second question was the mechanism. One mechanism was uh, like a mix between uh, selecting by popular vote, um, uh, like a part, some, some, some people, and with the support of the, of the MPs or of people in the parliament, and the other option, the Blevy side, was the what's so-called uh, constitutional convention. That is just um, that all the people that are going to decide for the new constitutions are going to be elected by popular vote. And they're, so it's 155 um, seats, you could say, that people are going to decide uh, who is going to, uh, like the articles of the new constitution. And this is the option that, that won, you know. And so it's quite interesting because the thing is uh, uh, it's going to be like uh, what's going to happen after, you know, like uh, how how these commissions are going to organize. Because in, we know that um, as in the Congress, these 155 people that are going to be elected on April uh, next year, uh, they have to form different commissions, and and um, there's going to be has, has to be an agreement of six or beyond 60 percent to any article to pass on the new constitution. And and also uh, like a new innovation, you could say in the in the Chilean uh, plebiscite or or this new process for any constitutions that 
is is the parity, the gender gender equality. So all, all the, the the 155 people that's gonna participate has to be half men, half half women. Uh, so that's quite an in, innovation. Uh, uh, it's gonna be the first time that it happened. Um, and also there's a discussion that's going on these days about if they have to give uh, preference seats to um, or like indigenous people in Chile. So that's that today there was this, this uh, debate on the Senate about this issue. Um, also, what does this mean for per, like Chilean politics in general? Because I know there's there's an election next year. There's a presidential election, and where did this result land on the line between you know the leading parties in Chile? Who was this a big benefit for? Who was the big winners? Who was the losers? After the social offspring, uh, the government was unable to put any of the points he has in or, their original agenda. Uh, the president never said that he was in favor of the rejection of, of the new constitution, but everyone knew, uh, especially in the cabinet, there were a few people that openly said they were uh, in favor of rejection, you know, uh, because every most part of the, you could say the cabinet of the, of the government is, is part of this elite, you know, that I mentioned before, that is against all of these the changes because the direct affect their, their privileges. So in a way, the, the big losers here is, is you could say, the government, of course, but it's the it's the Chilean elite, I think. And but it's it's quite interesting what's going to happen next because um, um, even you could say the big losers is is the elite and the government. Uh, this is going to be a normal election uh, with the with the people that's going to decide for the constitution. This 155 and. So I think this really favors, you could say, the elite that, you know, they, they want to win the more seats in this constitutional convention, you know, because so because you have a, an elite that have one message to maintain the old system or, the, or, or, or some parts of the old constitutions. And you have a Chilean left that is quite fragmented. They, they have many ideas, you could say, from uh, environmental demands, uh, changing the pension system, uh, some, some of them mention about the, the autonomy of the central bank, but that's, that's that's quite a. It's going to be also a, a debate that's quite important for the right. So you have a, a, the right wing, you could say, all the elite with one unified discourse, and you have the left with many discourses and with difficult, with a lot of problems or organizations. So it's going to be quite interesting. But of course, um, if you think about the, the current context um, uh, and the and the rates of participation uh, in, in this plebiscite, uh, you could say that it's going to favor you know people that uh speak speak like new ideas you know and but i don't know it's, it's just gonna be it's a lot of uncertainty there's not quite mentioned you know but a lot of implications for the region and the world you know like because um the chilean plebiscite shows you know that it's gonna be it's possible to have another alternative you know like chile was considered this neoliberal laboratory and it's always mentioned in textbooks and, and papers and and, and now, you know, it's, it's a message that we can change things democratically. So that's a really important message to other countries. Uh, yeah, so there's certainly going to be a lot of changes and a lot of interesting developments over the next year. And yeah, I'm sure we'll bring you up again to check up on what's going on in Chile. Daniel, thank you very much for helping us out today. If you like Explaining Brazil, please rate us with five stars. That will help more people find out about this show. Or you can sign up to The Brazilian Report, which is the journalistic engine behind this podcast. 
We offer a 7 day free trial, no strings attached, which gives you access to the site for a week without the need to insert any credit card details whatsoever. I'm Ewan Marshall and we'll see you back here next week.